The story today is one about character. I'll just start with that. Joseph's character is highlighted in all of this because it was the same. All throughout this story of Joseph, all 13 chapters, he is the same person, and he's God's person again and again and again. It doesn't matter in the lowliest of places, in the cistern waiting to die as his brother had cast him there, brothers had cast him there when he was young, all the way up through prison into the very second-in-command of all of Egypt. Joseph was God's person. And we need to hear and to remember that in the background today. I want to talk about just three very quickly this morning considerations about these two dream chapters that we need to hear in the greater narrative of the Old Testament and of Genesis. And the first of those is the prophetic consideration of the dreams and how God used those to tell Joseph and Pharaoh and the Egyptians and God's people, Joseph's family that lived far away, what was to come and give them a way to escape the doom and destruction of famine. These, uh, these dreams in Egyptian times were, were very popular and considered really as much riddles as they were things in the night that we would have. Some of the dreams that you might have had in the past uh, might surprise you when you wake up in the middle of the night or the next morning as you're reflecting back on them. Sometimes people don't even remember their dreams. Some people say they have no dreams. But psychologists would say that's not the case. You just don't uh, remember them or choose to remember them. Nonetheless, dreams in Old Testament times were considered much more messages from God or, or wisdom from the gods, riddles to be solved, and those that could solve them would be gleaned and understood as tremendously wise and given great places of power and prestige in government in other places in worship of the Pharaoh as well. And so we find that Joseph in prison just so happens by stance or not to be put in the path of two important fellows that had dreams that they didn't understand. Now, you think a cupbearer and a baker are menial jobs, right? Not the case in ancient times, especially in, in Pharaoh's court which was the government and the religion of the day, the cupbearer was the person that held the cup that Pharaoh would drink from. The reason that job was so important is because it had to be somebody that would be extremely trustworthy that he knew would not put anything in his drink that might cause him to fall. All of the time, I'm sure there were temptations and people that were trying to undo Pharaoh or take over the court that would go by means of the cupbearer to find a way to bring him down. It was a very important job, and apparently he did something, as the baker did to upset Pharaoh. And in prison, he has this dream. Joseph interprets for him favorably that he would be restored to his position, which, in fact, he was. He predicted what was to come in three days for the cupbearer. The bakers also were very important in ancient times. They were the ones that provided and cooked the bread for the masses, if you will. Many families, women primarily would bake bread for their families, but for the well-to-do, for 
those in power with great wealth, they would go and have master bakers provide and cook their food. In Jerusalem, when I was there a couple of years ago, there's a street called Baker Street in Jerusalem. And there are ruins there of what was once watchtowers and sentinels on Baker Street. Why? Because they had to guard closely the bread for people to eat, especially those that were the most important and in power, especially in times of great want when people were starving, when there was famine. And so both positions, very important. And Joseph just so happens by the intersection of God to interpret the the dream of the baker not so favorably. Why, we don't know. Yet what we do know is that prophetically it came to pass. Now I want us to hear and want us to know that, that dreams are not all prophecy. And so if you have a nightmare or a dream of something that happens that, that you feel alarmed about when you wake up. Don't think that that's something that is going to come to pass. And yet, we know in the Bible that these dreams were important in the greater story, the narrative of God's people, and we'll get to that. But then there's the prophetic consideration of Pharaoh's dreams. Both of them, Joseph says, are the same. Seven years of great plentifulness and seven years of famine and rightfully predicted through Joseph so that all of Egypt would be able to be saved and God's people, Joseph's brothers, the family of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his father, would be saved. There, there's great prophecy that happens in these two chapters simply through the prediction of what is to come. God provides that at a critical time for God's people to save them. Another consideration for, for these two chapters today is the messianic consideration. And we've not talked about that much, but maybe a little more as we go. There is, in a great depth of understanding, a precursor of the life of Joseph lining up and preparing God's people for Jesus that is to come. He is a Messiah of sorts by which and through which God uses to bring salvation, literally, of, of people in the world that are in, in dire need and perhaps even starving. Now, Joseph is not divine, as Jesus is in the New Testament, not God's son himself, and yet there are great parallels between that prepare the listener of these stories and those that would accept them as truth for Jesus that is to come. That's an important part of the Old Testament, isn't it? A lot of times we will cast aside the Old Testament, us Christians, for just the Gospels and for the letters that are in the New Testament. And yet, without understanding, without understanding why it is that Jesus needed to come into the world, we don't fully grasp and accept and understand why he came to do what he did. In Joseph's story, God is building for us an understanding of who Jesus is that is to come. And without understanding his story and understanding the way in which God uses him, we can't grasp the fullness of the gift of grace 
that comes through the cross, an empty tomb. Joseph was not Jesus and not divine, but he would save God's people just as Jesus would save God's people at the cross. Joseph was not Jesus, but he did humble himself. He put himself aside and helped even to promote other people like, like the, um, the cupbearer whose dream he interpreted and yet was forgotten all about after he did that. He set himself aside and humbly did what God called him to do, and through that he trusted God with his life and his destiny. Joseph was not Jesus, but he was lifted up at a particular time and in a particular place in history, lifted up for the purposes of God's work in the world, and he accepted that fully. And then lastly, notice in these dream chapters, the power of imagery that may be familiar to you from Easter. There's the three days, of course, that Joseph predicts for the cupbearer and the baker of what would come to pass, just as there were three days after Jesus was entombed in the dungeon of a grave in which he would rise up and be given new life. And there is the dream of the cupbearer with the grapes of the vine and and the juice that is squeezed into the cup, and the grain that the baker is used to making and gathering and putting together to make the loaves that are very powerfully latent into what we just experienced last week in the Lord's Supper. Remember the upper room where Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you. This is my body which is broken for you. Joseph sacramentally has these images in his story to prepare us for how it is that God would save his people once again in the entire world. So there are the prophetic considerations and the messianic considerations. But lastly, there's the characteristic consideration, and this is where the rubber meets the road for you and for me for life. Because Joseph's great character is something that we need to have an example uh, to follow after and lift up by. I have to say that Joseph's reputation at the time of interpreting these dreams was very, very bad. Do you remember last week why it was that he was imprisoned in the first place? For rape of Potiphar's wife. And yet, despite being in the dungeon, being in prison for years, Joseph clung to his integrity to the character that God called him to. Remember that when people say things that are false or untrue about you. Just do it God's way, and it will all come out in the wash and end the way that God needs it to end for you. Remember that if you're ever looked over or forgotten about after you try to help somebody and encourage them along life's way, and you're just pushed aside, that, that in time God will give you your due. You will find a place in his courts at the right time if you live according to the character that Christ calls us to. Reputation is what other people think about us, isn't it? But our character is who we really are in our heart of hearts. Reputation is what people um, suppose you are. Character is who God knows you really are in any given moment. Reputation is what I'll talk about at your funeral one day, if I'm still your pastor, 
and that might be put on your tombstone. But character is what, what Jesus will say about you when presented at the throne of God by the gift of grace. Joseph's character is enduring, and we need to, to recognize that and hang on to that and not give up on that, on living God's way when so easily, so easily we can uh, just let things fall by the wayside. There's uh, something enduring about people that, that grind through and are faithful through and through, isn't there? Uh, this past Tuesday, and those of you that are uh, true baseball fans would have watched the All-Star game. How many watched it? Maybe three of us, four of us. Yeah, I love the All-Star game. It's, it's great. Every year, it's, it symbolizes a few things in the game of Major League Baseball. It, first of all, is the very middle of the season. It's a break for the players. And so there's that. And the second half of the season after the All-Star break is always a mad dash towards the playoffs. And players are traded and teams really get down to the grid and they, they go for the playoffs and hopefully to the World Series come October. But it's also all that is good about baseball because you get the very best of the players of the game that are showcased and, and um, given an opportunity to kind of bask in the glory of it all. Well, there was a, a great connection that I shared with a few of you that, that happened at the All-Star Game, and it's that there was a player there that is from the triad, uh, Whit Merrifield, plays for the Kansas City Royals, and he grew up and graduated from Davie High School over in Moxville, and then went on to play baseball after being recruited at the University of South Carolina, and then played for a number of years in the minors. I was privileged that he and his family were a part of a church that I pastored, Bethlehem United Methodist, there in Advance in Davie County. And we got to confirm, went in, into the church, Confirmation Sunday. In fact, I'll never forget that his father, Bill, said to me on Confirmation Sunday, as we were getting ready to, uh, to do the confirmation, uh, Pastor Mark, we may have to leave before the end of the service today. And I was like, why? Your son is being confirmed. He said, my son has a baseball game to play. So uh, he made it to the All-Star game in Major League Baseball, and that struck me that that happened. But it's an incredible story of Whit Merrifield, in my opinion. Maybe it's the personal connection that, that I have had in the past. But Whit Merrifield made it to the All-Star game this past Tuesday in a very unconventional way. He labored through six... Well, six full seasons, but seven seasons of minor league baseball before he ever made it to the majors. And that is an unusual stretch of hard work and grit and sweat. I, I looked it up. The average length of play for minor league baseball players is three to four years on average. And by then, they either move up to the big leagues, to the show, if you will, or they are let go or quit just out of frustration. But Whit Merrifield kept playing, kept hanging in there throughout the years. He's not a, a particular flashy star. He's a utility player that can play a lot of different positions. But there was never a place for him in Kansas City Royals to be moved up. There were a couple of times in seasons leading up to his debut. But, but in uh, 2016, he was finally called up for part of a season because of an injured player. Uh, 2017, he finally got to play a full season 
of baseball there for Kansas City. And it was a breakout year for him, and the reason he became an all-star. He led the league last year in the number of hits, 192, for the regular season in all of Major League Baseball. Beat out Freddie Freeman by just one hit. And also won the stolen bases title with 45 stolen bases. So far in 2019, he is the the leader of 118 hits uh, in that category going out of the all-star break. But the story, the point is this, that it's very easy for us to just give up on our dreams and to let go of the things that really matter in life and matter according to God. One of the the things that I really value about um, Whit Merrifield is his faith. I have an article, a few copies I printed off today, about how he has leaned upon God, his testimony, if you will, in the difficult, long years especially, of trying to achieve his dream. Joseph did not give up too soon on God, and he didn't throw in the towel on the things that mattered. Joseph was a man, young though he was, that was given great responsibility, not because he had a great reputation, but because he had character and he clung to the things of God and everything that he did. He showed exemplary character and exemplary inspiration for us all. Now, I'm not saying that we have to be perfect today, but I'm saying that we need to recognize that truly great things in life come, not from our own accomplishments and our own deeds, but from God. And it's a gift of grace for us all. And as we walk with Christ, and as we continue along life's highway, whether it's in times of plenty or in times of want. If we will be open to God's Spirit and the Holy Spirit and walk with Christ, we will be led into places that, that are good, places at the table where we can feast in famine and be filled by the gifts of God 